Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District. This is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. Happy Hump Day, everybody. Tom Block with you. And boy, do we have a treat in store today on the front row because Keith Jones is not here. So for some of you, this may be the best front row yet. For others, you're stuck merely with me, and uh, you may have deep regrets the fact you've tuned in. But Keith is uh, with the basketball team in Raleigh, so he will join us uh, for the next couple of segments. And we have gone to the bullpen. Many of you that are avid listeners here to 97.9 will be aware that Tom Lang pretty much has a cot here at the station and, and lives here 24 7 and uh you know when something happens at 3 a.m on a tuesday it, it's it's tom that comes in and fixes the problem and uh, he's going to fix this little dilemma that uh, we're in for actually this week and next week too because fsu will be on the road with basketball at louisville next uh, wednesday tom how are you i'm doing well i'd say pleasure to be here tom but i'm usually on the other side of the glass every week and the groove in this chair fits no one else but me <laughs> there you go at least there the bottom go. side of it well the, the good thing for you is I'm not, I'm not sure what the business card says but it should say jack of all trades uh i will publicly uh, acknowledge at this point that tom has been our behind the scenes guy on the front row and uh keith and i greatly appreciate all your efforts on this as we've gotten this off the ground so now that i've buttered you up yes exactly sufficiently so i'll, I'll give you a, a chance to uh to weigh in here tim lenefelt will join us a little bit later on uh, as well our seminoles.com insider uh, we're sort of in that in-between period where football is pretty much in the rearview mirror although not quite we're going to discuss that especially in light of a great game monday uh baseball's around the corner and we're in this 0-3 in the league basketball spot right now, which is not a great place to be in, but uh, we'll talk about that with Keith and Tim and Tom as well. But I really feel like, and I know you and Jeff discussed it uh, at length yesterday, uh, I, you know, I didn't sit and try to rank how that game plays out compared to other title games, but that was a great game the other night between Clemson and Alabama. I'll it was start there. riveting because it was a clash of two different styles. One was highly dependent on a quarterback, in fact, completely dependent on a star quarterback being a star throughout, and Clemson got the performance it needed out of Deshaun Watson. It just wasn't enough. And you, you had different moments in that game. Bama goes up early. It looks like they neutralized a couple of things that, that Clemson is doing. And you think, ooh, Clemson better get some first downs here or better make a couple of plays. And, and Watson scrambles, gets a first down, then rolls to his right the very next play, hits a touchdown, and it's on. Clemson's up 14-7. to Then it looks like after Bama has to give the ball back to Clemson that the Tigers have a chance to deliver a knockout blow early in this game. They can't. He throws a pick. And then you flash forward to a chance where Clemson's up three points in the second half, ball on the 50-yard line to go up two scores heading into the fourth quarter. Clemson can. It was just incredibly entertaining. And I felt like typically I kind of look with a jaundiced eye at 45, 40 scores, but not this one. Every point was earned and every point was riveting. Yeah, well, in the fourth quarter, too. I mean, it just just kept going and going. Nine possessions in the fourth quarter. We were all praying for the overtime scenario. It didn't didn't unfold that way. But it it was just a really good, enjoyable football game. I'm going to say something that... Um, FSU fans may not agree with, and it's uh, you know perhaps not wise for me to say it. I, I I didn't have this thought necessarily during the game, but it hit me kind of yesterday, maybe a little bit today. But Deshaun Watson reminds me of of Charlie Ward, and here's why. I hadn't I hadn't processed it. 
he doesn't look like he's going to elude the rush or he's working that hard, and yet the distance between he and the defensive lineman grows as he just kind of effortlessly glides for another first down. That That's the parallel I'll make, not necessarily how he throws everything else, but I hadn't really processed that until watching him the other night. He just doesn't look like he's working hard, and the next thing you know, it's an easy first down. Well, and if you look at some of the angles that they provide in that broadcast, too, down the secondary, and you see how great the initial coverage is so consistently for Alabama. Some of that has to do with how they're coached up. Some of that has to do that Mike Williams was out and Kane was out for Clemson. But it didn't matter. It's, okay, do I need to extend it another four or five seconds? He just found the space and time to do so. It's that it's something that Jameis had. It's something that Russell Wilson had. And it doesn't mean that you have to have speed necessarily. But you have that sixth sense when, it, when to step up, when to move laterally. The pocket presence is off the charts. And he's got an arm, too. Can we get him to just enter the CFL or something instead of playing one more year? Can we talk to somebody about that? It's one of those deals and where you look at the 2016 season and you have McCaffrey and, and of course, Dalvin, Fournette, and Henry, and Watson all returning. I can't remember a year where so many candidates for postseason awards were all forced to come back to college football. Typically, at least half of them are moving on and are going to get drafted in what is called, you know, essentially the lottery of the NFL in the first 12, 16 picks. Oh, no question. It's a loaded field. But in some respects, while I'm looking forward to seeing all those guys play again, I don't like the fact that we'll already have a list of Heisman candidates one through five, which will discount whoever emerges on the scene next year. And and people will, no question. Yeah, and that's – I was – I tweeted this earlier this week. I have nothing against Derrick Henry. Uh, I just thought, and you, Alabama fans can can make an argument that if Henry's not on that team, they don't win a title. Maybe they lose a couple more games. I, to me, seeing a lot more of Clemson than I did Alabama, I think you can argue that without Deshaun Watson, Clemson loses four or five games this year. I mean, he's that valuable to him. Maybe not four or five, maybe three or four. But certainly, yeah, they're not playing in the college football playoff, yeah. let alone the championship game. And, and it still comes down to, in this game, Coker has to make a big throw on third down, a rush in his face. There are coverage busts that help uh, Alabama's cause, but it also comes down to special teams largely on that night outside of the one home run that they hit early in the game. Kind of the same thing as Florida State's first touchdown when we played up in Clemson is that there's an alignment bust. But Henry was kind of bottled up there, and it was up to Coker to make plays, and he couldn't early on. He ends up doing so later, and the secondary for Clemson helps out. But Henry wasn't the player of that game, not at all. Is Coker somewhere just uh, smiling smugly, smoking a cigar right now for all the FSU folks who sort of scoff? You shouldn't have left. Last year you were behind Blake Sims, and now here he is just having that last laugh. Well, good for him. I, mean, I know. I, I never had anything against Coker either. I mean, but what a for an Alabama kid to end up on two title teams. I mean, he comes here because Jimbo's the guy who discovered him if you will then he finishes his childhood dream to play at Alabama I don't think he can really and, and wins two titles when I love the needle that Jimbo offered up as soon as he transferred to when he said uh, in preseason before last year that he's the best quarterback that Nick's ever had at Alabama putting a lot of pressure on Jake to deliver and obviously kind of needling one of his mentors and saying yeah you guys have recruited an awful lot of players at every position but not so much at that position and then he gets beat out for that job I just I love that he could shake that reputation when it meant it most he played a great game in the sugar bowl against michigan state and then obviously he makes a couple of big plays the scramble for the first down that puts alabama right. essentially up for two scores and puts that game out of reach good for him that he could close the, a book uh, on a college career that said 
not uh, promising, but can't deliver. Promising, but can't deliver. And then he finally did. Yeah, it, it was a tremendous finish for him. A couple more uh, minutes to go in this segment, Tom. And, but before we uh, do that, I want to talk kind of bigger picture on what that win did for the SEC or Bama or the ACC in defeat for Clemson. Uh, but this segment, uh, as always, or this portion of the program, is brought your way by Madison Social. You guys know the drill by now. It's uh, the anchor of College Town. Uh, it overlooks Doe Campbell Stadium. There's always something going on. I wasn't aware until I just looked prior to taping the show that uh, it's Social Drinker Appreciation Night tonight, apparently. Wear any uh, Social Drinker shirt uh, you've earned and uh, sample eight different IPAs from 7 to 9. So immediately after the front row... Don the shirt, head to Madison Social, tell them Tom Keith and uh, and the other Tom sent you that way. It's the flight deck of flight decks. It is the flight deck of flight decks. So here's my thought. I'm going to talk more about this with Keith, too. Uh, First one I think most will agree with that Clemson, in many respects, uh, and the ACC, perhaps subsequently or or secondarily, rather, uh, almost earned more respect in defeat than they could have in victory. And then part B is I'm wondering if now Alabama, uh, not and, and we can talk about the Saban legacy, but just Alabama by winning again has even separated and differentiated itself from the rest of the SEC so that maybe we there is kind of a buffer between, well, there's Alabama. Yeah, we get the SEC's good, but you, there, there's a distinction now between the two. I would agree. And I'd say to the first point about Clemson and the legitimacy that this game provided for them, if you look at play for play, drive for drive, first down for first down, Clemson was the better team. It's big plays, coverage, busts, and special teams. It's the details. It's the situations, as Jimbo Fisher would like to say, that are in Alabama, that victory. And they've been saying it about the Big Ten for years. They said it about the ACC in recent years, Florida State and Clemson and everybody else. I would agree. I mean, bowl season helped the SEC a little bit for perception purposes, but beyond that, it is Alabama it, it and everybody else. It helped them else. this year. Last year it wasn't so great, and so they just discounted the bowl record. Well, of course they did. Because, you know, I mean, that's, you know, that's just how that game's played. They're praying that you don't remember last year. Right, right. But uh, I, I just, you have to tip your cap. There's nothing else you can do to Alabama and Nick Saban, and uh, that's a longer discussion about Nick's legacy. But four and seven years, uh, it, it is a machine. They've got it going. Congratulations to them. Clemson definitely served notice, especially with Deshaun Watson, that, um, you know, they're not going anywhere anytime soon. And I had this thought after the game, too. But, you know, when you look at it, FSU is going to host Clemson next year and they're going to open 2017 against Alabama in in Atlanta. And so if FSU went to the championship game next year, I know their expectations are high. That's 15 games. Alabama would be the 16th game. So two of the next 16 games are against those two teams from the other. At least two. At Th- least two. At least two, unless you face them in the postseason. Right. And you're talking about Atlanta destinations, Tampa destinations, Orlando. We're going to be all over the lot in this region playing meaningful games, hopefully more than just what the schedule demands right now. But I mean, is that the leader in the clubhouse for game of the year in 2016 as we enter the offseason, Florida State hosting Clemson? It's got to be. It's got to be on the short. Got to be up there. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, you know, the schedule will come out in a couple of weeks, and typically, when FSU plays at Clemson, the game is October, November, and when Clemson plays here, it's September. Uh, those kind of games, though, I mean, like no, Alabama LSU is always the second Saturday in November, which I think actually was when the FSU Clemson game was last year too. I think they went head to head. So right. it'll be interesting to see if the league does that or if they put FSU and Clemson early on to kind of draw the early stages because you've got not just that game you've got a Deshaun Dalvin Heisman type thing like we had with Taj Boyd and EJ a few years ago yeah exactly and for Florida State that would make a very interesting September schedule because of course opening up in the Citrus Bowl on Labor Day night you would hope that you get a couple of weeks if you're a Florida State fan to regroup get ready to go because that's your elimination game in the ACC Atlantic one would think 
Yeah, crazy. I, I, side note to this, and I don't want to uh, discount anything Alabama did, but if I'm a Clemson fan, I, I don't know. I, I don't watch Clemson enough to explain all the breakdowns in their secondary and the coverage, but I am wonder, wondering if uh, McKenzie did not get hurt, if that might have alleviated some of them. Some of them weren't busts. Some of them were not making plays physically at the edge there, and uh, Clemson fans have got to be just bitter about the way that worked out. Yeah, angles taken yeah. by the corners, edges not uh, respected. Yeah, totally. And and you look at early in that game, you're wondering about his health to begin with, and he's flying to the ball. He looks like the fastest player on the field. Right. LaMarcus Joyner, like, closing speed. And then he goes out, and they feel it in the biggest moments. Yeah, man, it's it's uh, it's definitely got to be bittersweet for Clemson. I mean, I, I on the one hand, and it's little solace right now. They they have arrived, and the national respect is there. On the other hand, as we know at FSU, when you come so close, those chances don't come. Uh, you know, they don't come every year. We still sit and talk about FSU Tennessee and FSU in Oklahoma and the near misses that, that, that didn't go FSU's way, and that's that's what's going to happen for Clemson fans down the line. All right, uh, Tom Block with you. Keith Jones, uh, for those of you tuning in, uh, don't celebrate too much. He is joining us next segment. He's just on the road with uh, basketball, and we will turn our attention to uh, basketball. But what, we'll get KJ's thoughts on, uh, on the championship game as well when he joins us via the telephone when we continue here on the front row. Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979ESPNRadio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. Welcome back to the front row. For some of you, this has been the uh, moment you've been waiting for. For others, uh, you wish we'd just repeat the first segment. But either way, Keith Jones is actually going to return to the program now uh, via the technology of the telephone. Keith is on the road with the uh, men's basketball team. KJ, how are you? Doing well, Tom. Doing well. Thanks. Tom Lang pinch hit very well. He uh, hit a couple of shots to the gap, and uh, we talked extensively about you, uh, so your ears should have been ringing in that first segment. Don't let him get too good. I'd like to keep my gig. I don't want to go on the other side of glass where he is. Yeah, understand, understand. I, I didn't set him up too much, so you're safe there. Well, Keith, uh, basketball uh, is is not something that Tom and I addressed because we started with football. But as you're on the road with men's basketball, let's start there, and we'll save your championship game fodder for uh, for next segment. Um, this has been tough. You know, it, it's it's always interesting to me. I feel like. Florida State fans, in some respects, are so accustomed to football and recruiting at a top level, and you get a five-star, you plug them in, and boom, the result is a 10-win season and a top-20 finish. And so when Leonard recruits guys that are five-stars and he puts them out there, we expect the same result right away. And obviously, it hasn't gone according to form. But 0-3 right now, I don't know if must-win is the right phrase or when we get to must-win, but this is a pretty significant game tonight against NC State. Very much so, and I personally would categorize it as a must-win uh, from uh, from one particular aspect, and that's the, the confidence of these young kids. Remember, this freshman group, uh, as highly touted as they've been, they're not used to losing. And as you and I have observed and our listeners have observed, when you watch teams that, that get into a rut and get into a losing streak, the youngsters are the first that lose their confidence. And that's not something that Florida State, in any stretch of the imagination, can afford right now. Uh, so I, I categorize this as a must-win. And come nine o'clock, 
uh, Florida State better have those sneakers tied up and ready to go, or or the season may unwind real quickly. I want to ask you a question since you're around the team. Who's the leader of this team? Um, that's a very good question, Mr. Block, because right now that leader hasn't emerged. Uh, you know, coach named uh, Michael Ojo and Devin Booker as captains. Ojo hasn't played a minute. Uh, Booker is a, just a very quiet reserve guy. He's not vocal or out there. Um, you know, I, I don't think there's any one guy, maybe, maybe XRM, only because he's always so demonstrative. But truth be known, I don't think there truly is a leader on this team, certainly not one that has emerged yet. Well, I, I didn't want to expound too much as I asked that question because, you know, leadership – Sometimes it goes to somebody that's uh, not a leader, but they're playing 35 minutes and they're scoring a lot of points, and so they become the de facto leader. But in the case of Devin Booker, he's not getting enough minutes or points as the senior and kind of the guy who probably should be in that role. And I'm not taking anything away from Devin. I mean, the reality is you're playing four freshmen, XRM's a sophomore. You're just playing young guys, and to me, sort of more on the periphery than what you are. What you just answered is correct. It doesn't appear there is one necessarily. Well, the, the Mon- Monte I Brandon, I guess, the would accusatory finger at, and this is harsh criticism, but the guy that should be the leader is Boris Bojanovsky. And and candidly, over the last three or four or five ball games, he's been essentially a non-factor. And unless and until you're performing on the court, it's real hard to command the respect of your teammates when it comes time to to say or suggest or do or even command something of your fellow players. Well, and I don't know Boris personally, but his personality may be sort of like his game and that he's not assertive or aggressive enough as what we'd like to see because if he if he had that sort of mean streak uh, to him, uh, like what Kumaje has, you, you, you'd have a, a, a pretty good senior in there in, in the middle. So uh, that said, with, you know, and, and I don't think we're trying to point fingers, we're just raising a question. If leadership is a concern or a question, as it appears to be right now, how do you get these freshmen not to let this losing streak spiral out of control, and how do you get them to play confidently on the road at NC State tonight? Well, two things I'm looking forward to tonight is, is number one, uh, Florida State played a little more zone, actually more zone than they've ever played all year, but quite a bit of zone in the Miami ball game, and they have really struggled defensively with dribble drive penetration and either the shooter going to the rack or laying it off to a big man, you know, for an easy uncontested shot uh, in the paint. So I would look for Florida State to play more zone or continue the trend of playing zone to try to help these young kids who haven't quite embraced all of Leonard's, uh, as he likes to call them, them his defensive uh, scheme. The other thing I want to see, and we've not seen this much at all, is I think this team needs to start pressing. I need they I think they need to start going full court or three quarter court pressing. I think they need to go press trap. I think they need to ramp up their energy on the defensive end by by demanding extra effort from themselves, and then just you know see what happens. Uh, as you and I know from from all of our years of watching basketball, sometimes your defense can create your offense, and sometimes your defense. Can, can move it into some more transition type of baskets where Florida State is, is superbly uh, above their competition athletically. 
So uh, continuing to play the zone, let, let's go with some, some a little bit of full-court pressure, three-quarter court pressure, and let's, let's let collectively ramp up our energy and see what happens. I would love to see both of those happen tonight against the Wolfpack. I, I just want to clarify because I have this vision in mind. Leonard's Leonard's with the team tonight, right? Because yep. I, I envision over his dead body that he's reluctantly going to play in zone and giving up on his man principles. Well, I, I think it's not giving up on it. I think it's just doing some short-term things so that you can continue to work on it in practice. And then when you do go man in games of, against teams that, that are not – you know, of North Carolina, preseason number one, Miami, ranked number eight currently. You know, let's face it, Clemson, who who's won a couple of games back-to-back that are pretty impressive. And Florida State's early AC schedule, ACC schedule has not been favorable, and there's a reason they're 0-3. But maybe you've just got to do – we won't call them drastic things, TB. We'll just call them some, some other things that lead to some improvements. Uh, let's just see what happens. Yeah, well, you you got to shake things up a little bit when they go this way. You know, you mentioned the easy baskets they gave up, and I have these visions of Bryce Johnson scoring another layup uncontested. I chuckled when I saw the ACC Player of the Week announcement this week because it lumped Johnson's statistics together for two games, and it said last week he scored 70 points and had 50 re- – whatever it was, and, and – you know, if you did the math, like 80% of that was in one game against FSU and the other 20% was in whoever they played in their second game. Well, well, interestingly, they're going to make some tweaks. I mean, uh, they certainly need them, and it doesn't get any easier. You're on the road tonight. Virginia comes to town next week uh, or on Sunday night, and Virginia just beat Miami last night, and then you're back on the road at Louisville. So, uh, you know, Leonard says it a lot. I think ACC fans say it. We know it. Uh, that the ACC is is the top shelf conference out there, but man, when you look at it, it it just, there really is, I, there's no easy outs there. Declan Hoff and I, Tommy referred to it as the grind. I mean, even if you let's say you like you mentioned, you beat NC State tonight, and if you get off that snide, gosh, you got to turn around and on and on Sunday you got a top ten team coming in. Uh, I, I mean. And then you got to go on the road against you know one of the four best teams in the history of college basketball, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But but that's the opportunity that the ACC presents, and you just got to put your nose down and just keep grinding away and hope. And and sometimes they do good things happen. What's your impression, having been around uh, some of the freshmen and even XRM, sort of in his new role and as a more mature guy in his second year of seeing playing time for Leonard? You know, X is probably the guy that has grown up the most. Um, I mean, he's he's been able to control his emotion and, and candidly his temper uh, much better this year over last. Uh, there have been times when he has been called upon to be the score uh, that unfortunately he was called upon most of the time last year. But let's remember, he leads the ACC in assists. His scoring average is only down a couple of three points. And of all the guys playing defense, and I know he gets beat a lot on dribble drive penetrations, but every now and then he'll come up with a steal or a deflection that we didn't see at all last year. So uh, he's the guy that I think has matured the most, uh, at least of the returning players. And I just I continue to be amazed as I watch uh, Dwayne Bacon and, and, and Malik Beasley uh, just conduct themselves. They're they're eighteen year olds, Tom, that are acting like they're juniors, and and we just haven't seen that in Florida State basketball in recent memory. 
they're confident. Uh, they, they, they make freshman mistakes. I easily tell people, watch Bacon. If his first shot goes in, he's going to score 22. If his first shot doesn't go in, he's going to score 12. He, he just loses that, that little bit of edge with that first uh, attempt. Beasley is as good a young guard perimeter player as I've ever seen rebounding. You know, he averages well over five rebounds a game, along with his scoring average. I mean, they're, they're two just great, wonderful young kids that, that our fans need to just flock to the Tucker Center to watch or on TV. They're, they're just a joy to watch perform. Well, and I hesitate to to ask the the question that's out there, but you know that one and done is associated with certainly Bacon and uh, potentially Beasley. I mean, what do you think the odds are that either of them or both of them return next year? Well, it's you're you're right from this standpoint. It's a two edged sword. If if Florida State went on a ten game winning streak and vaulted into the top twenty five and and you know, makes the uh, NCAA tournament as a six or a seven or a ten seed, and these guys continue to score, then that's the recipe for them to potentially be thought of. If Florida State continues to struggle, goes you know below five hundred for the year and plays in the NIT, does the age-old thing that we associate with football come into play? And that being, you know, the kids that can come out early on the great teams are usually the ones that get looked at, and the kids that come out early on the not-so-great teams sometimes don't get looked at. Does basketball work the same way? I don't know. Uh, it's going to be an interesting thing, because, as our listeners know, as you know, we've never had a one-and-done, so it'll be a first time, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I, I don't really know, Tommy. I guess it's the... It's the yeah, and I, I don't know that anybody does right now. I think I personally happen to think basketball scouting is a little bit easier to project because it's fewer guys on the court than on the field. And uh, and I'm sure you're right. And, and no question, though, playing in the ACC, that there's no shortage of scouts, whether they're there to look at Bacon and Beasley or they're there to look at uh, the opposition who will have seen them play firsthand by the time you get to the ACC tournament. I mean, the it was... Uh, what were there, 25 scouts here for the Carolina game a couple weeks? Ago. At least. Yeah. And there'll be a bunch here tonight because uh, Cat Barber, the, the point guard for NC State, uh, I was reading this this morning, Tommy. He's the only player in the country, in the country, that's averaging more than 21 points, five rebounds, and five assists a ball game. Well, thanks for leaving us on uh, that note, uh, as I'm going to put a tie a knot and uh, put a bow on this well, conversation about who, basketball. Who is comfortable with their name going from Anthony to Cat? I'm going to pay attention to. <laughs> big, big challenge. Of course, NC State is just trying to get off the schneid too. So I mean, they, and, and look at look at NC State. Look at all they've accomplished the last two or three seasons, and they're sitting there with ten wins overall, zero and three in the conference, just like Florida State. So there's your comparison. That yeah, things are not great, uh, but there are a lot of other people that aren't great, and that's how competitive this conference is. Well, and it can shift in uh, in college basketball. It can shift pretty quickly. I mean, Clemson was not great in the non conference. Then boom, they get hot and they win a few games, and, and they're at the top part of the standings. You know, so exactly. Florida State just needs to get one and then try to turn it into two and go from there. All right, KJ, you're not going anywhere. Uh, for those just tuning in, this is the front row. Keith is on the road with uh, the FSU basketball team, which is why. Uh, 
our our banter is perhaps not quite as as witty and off the cuff as normal, and it's uh, more like an interview format here. But he'll join us, uh, stay with us for next segment, and we'll go back and uh, revisit that championship game from Monday night. Tom Lang and I already uh, discussed it. Uh, it was a great game, Keith. You and I haven't uh, debriefed about it too much, so we'll do that when we come back here on the front row. <laughs> Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. We're back on the front row. Uh, I'm uh, in the studio in person, if you will. Keith uh, joining us remotely as he's on the road with the uh, men's basketball team who has a big game tonight at NC State. I'll remind you that this portion of the program is brought your way by the Flying Bear family-owned and operated restaurant up Thomasville Road in uptown Tallahassee. I actually ate there last night with the family, and uh, I told you that it was good food, and I I can confirm. Now, I always lean a little red sauce, and uh, I needed a comfort food last night, so I got pizza, and I went with the Buzz and Neal's Moon Spin, which is, uh, it's got Bradley sausage on it, which is probably all I need to to offer to sell you on it but uh uh good it was a good time for the family a good meal and uh, i encourage you and yours to uh, tell brian that uh, we sent you his way that's the flying bear great american grill keith jones uh is back with us keith when you're on the road with basketball you just pretty much eat the whole time don't you we've got a more salad uh, uh we've been walking uh if you can believe that uh if you can imagine what the conversation is like when jones and deckerhoff goes on a walk uh, but we're getting a little better. We're trying to grow up a little bit, Tom. Does Gene do play-by-play when you go on a walk? Uh, yes, he does. Uh, <laughs> hey, look over there. That's a new store. We haven't seen that store before. Look, they got shoes that store wasn't here last year when you were here. The gas, the gas is a dollar ninety-eight here. You know, that's a, the red takes diesel now. But I used to buy gas all the time. Now I buy diesel. <laughs> oh, we could fill a whole segment this way. We won't do that here and now, but uh, well done, KJ. All right, let's talk football here. Tom and I discussed it. Uh, I, I, both of us are in agreement. I, I really thought that was a tremendous college football game the other night. Uh, so often, it happens more in the NFL, maybe not all the time, but I, you, you know, there's so much buildup. The Super Bowl always feels worse. For some reason, that extra week off at the pro level just lingers longer. It just must be the oversaturation of media coverage. But it didn't feel like that long a layoff between the college football playoffs, and technically I guess it's not quite as long, to the championship game. But it was a great game the other night. Uh, A, I absolutely 100% concur. Uh, B, it's kind of interesting to me that, you know, Florida State's uh, win over Auburn was a great game. And you, you can go back and think about Texas over USC. I mean, I don't know if you guys talked about it, but where does where does this game rank in terms of just forget who you're pulling for, just the quality of the game, the way it played out, the excitement uh, of the game, the, the unusual plays, particularly. We'll talk about that as it relates to Saban. I mean, this this might be a top five all time championship game, isn't it? Well, I mean, you probably just have to reflect back on the when the BCS championships began with Florida State and Tennessee, because prior to that, you know, you didn't have one versus two necessarily. Um, 
I'm just kind of working backwards. As far as Alabama championships, none of their other wins resonate as, as entertaining games, uh, not to this level. USC, Texas certainly would. Um, I'm trying to recall back. LSU, I should know this from my family heritage. Uh, I was at the game when they beat Oklahoma for the national title. It was not nearly as suspenseful uh, as what uh, what this was. Um, and FSU, Oklahoma 13-2 wasn't to bring up bad memories. Obviously, we're not going to put the Gators national championships in that conversation. But my point, uh, you know, you know, you know, your point, your point it is, fulfilled I, I, all of the expectations and and more. I'll, I'll tell you which game, and and we're Florida State homers, but the FSU Virginia Tech game in '99 had some of this because FSU got out to a, a big, big lead, and then Virginia Tech came all the way back and took the lead in that game before Winky and Warwick finished them off. Right. But yeah, but I, I I'd have to look at the list to think about it. But it's up there. I mean, certainly it's the most recent one in the rearview mirror. But it it was a it was a. Uh, an enter- entertaining football game. It must have pained you to some degree. I presume you're pulling for Clemson and the ACC as a for- as a former safety to watch the defensive breakdowns there, particularly after Mackenzie Alexander went out. Well, and and those are the things that happen. You remember, I can go all the way back to my uh, game uh, against Oklahoma in the 1980 uh, Orange Bowl. You know, J.C. Watts, not known for throwing the ball, ends up with four huge completions on their final drive that leads them down. They convert the two-point conversion. They beat us 18-17. So, you know, breakdowns in the secondary because of the way they occur are always glaring. But I'll tell you that the biggest play in that ball game, and, and I'm sure many people will agree with me, this is not anything out from left field, but the biggest play in that ball game was the onside kick. I mean, and, and I thought it, I was sitting there watching it going, man, Remember Jimbo Fisher pulling that fake punt with Carlos Williams against Auburn? You know, Jimbo doesn't like trick plays. He doesn't you, – you've not seen the double reverse pass, you know, in Jimbo's offense. And he, he calls that fake punt, Carlos gets the first down, et cetera, et cetera. No one in any right mind would expect Saban to call an onside kick in that situation. And, and that's what the great coaches do. It worked beautifully. And, and it led, I, in my opinion, a great deal towards Alabama's win. I agree that that was that was the. I mean, you can talk about what Henry did and then didn't do in the second half, or Alabama getting its tight end involved finally, or Deshaun Watson making terrific plays. Uh, to me, that was the difference. And you know, it's it's crazy to think this as good as Saban's been in some respects. For me. Um, my respect level for Saban even increased just based on an onside kick because that was not a drill it into the ground and it's basically a free ball. Hopefully you get the carom. That was schemed off of tape and it was incredibly well executed as if you were dropping a pass to the to the guy who recovered it. Uh, and it's obviously something they picked up in their scouting and they waited for the absolute right time and executed it to perfection. And uh, so, like I said, I mean, I, it, kudos to Nick for calling it. Exactly. I mean, go back to the punt ruski that Florida State pulled on Clemson with Leroy Butler. Backed up, but, but that's a play that you, you don't schematically look at and say, this play's going to look work because of the way Clemson covers punts or, or returns punts. That's a play that you're trying to catch them by surprise. The onside kick, you're, you're 100% accurate. That was schemed by looking at tape making sure you line up the right way. You know, Alabama likes to squeeze the field, so they make sure they bring their guys in, knowing that when they bring their guys in, Clemson's return guys are going to turn and run and run right out of that area 
and you can run your guy right into the area and catch it just like a pass. Uh, I mean, that, that, that was as well executed in, both in terms of seeing it on tape, knowing that it will work, and then actually executing it in the ball game to perfection. I also it, it was ironic to me that it was a kicker that was sort of a hero for Alabama because when they missed a field goal uh, early on, I, I turned to my wife, who obviously with her LSU roots, you know, follow, she, a she follows college football, but she she knows Nick Saban from his days at LSU. And I said to her, I said, you know, for all his recruiting, he can't get a kicker that can make kicks, you know. And then boom, he gets a kicker to, to execute that onside kick. It was just a tremendous game. What now? What about the uh, Tom Lang and I discussed this a little bit. Your thoughts, a on. Uh, despite the loss, what that does maybe for the national perception or reputation of Clemson, and B, well, answer that first. You know, how do you think Clemson's perceived now in light of that? I think, I think candidly, they're probably perceived even better in defeat than if somehow they'd have pulled that game out. The way they conducted themselves, the way they responded, the night that the, the Sean had, the fact that they're doing it with, with uh, 28 freshmen, you know, Clemson is one of the youngest teams in the country. They got 28 freshmen and redshirt freshmen on that squad, and you know you're doing it with a sophomore running back. You're doing it with with uh, kids that that are going to be there next year and maybe the year after that. I know it sounds crazy. Reach through the phone and, and, and strangle me if you want to, but I think even in defeat, Clemson marginally raised their their uh, perception nationally. No, you're, you're in agreement. That's the point Tom and I discussed earlier on. I didn't want to ask it as a leading question, but you're on the same page there. Then the second thing that we kicked around a little bit is, has Alabama separated and distinguished itself so much nationally by winning for the fourth time in seven years that they've even elevated themselves above the rest of the SEC and in some ways maybe to the point that, that Corey Clark wrote about in The Democrat this week, you can actually have a line of demarcation when you talk about, yeah, the SEC is good, but but it's not Alabama good. I think that's a fair way of comparing it. I think while I'm not prepared to make Alabama football at this level, I think the same thing we did when you go back and look at UCLA basketball under John Wooden. It's all about the process. How many times have we heard that? Saving disciples named Jimbo Fisher. It starts with how you set your system up, how the kids eat, how they work out, what's your schedule. starts in the weight room with going from, can I bench press 400 pounds to doing Olympic and an explosive type of exercises, to who you recruit, the types of players you bring in, the support personnel you put around them relative to academics as well as psychological and, and, and emotional, and then the coaching staff, how you approach the games, how you how you measure. I mean, am, am I going on in too far? It's part of the process. And once you get that in place, all you've got to do is tweak it, if you can, to maintain it, and you can end up rolling up some pretty big numbers pretty quickly, and that's exactly what Alabama has done. Tremendous game, and uh, indeed, the, the the sad part is we're done with college football now for a while. Uh, not counting a spring well, game. Well, you got in April recruiting League. day coming up. You, you got, got a recruit- big night coming up. You, you you get to be in the middle of the spotlight here in another. Uh- couple three weeks my friend nobody has ever looked back at national signing day and thought that i was the highlight i can assure you 
<laughs> There's maybe a half star next to my name in most cases. KJ, well, for uh, those who don't know what I'm talking about, Tommy will be emceeing the uh, the uh, recruiting gala, the Seminole Booster um, recruiting uh, Jimbo Fisher signing party, uh, which is going to take place again this year on on signing day. Um, I tried to talk to him about moving signing day since it conflicts with our show here, Keith. But but the NCAA wanted to leave it on the first Wednesday in February, so we'll just have to deal with that. Okay. You know how about this? You got just a minute. Remember the stink that was brought up last week? How? <clears throat> excuse me, because Alabama was not in class. The twenty-hour rule was not applicable. Twenty right, hours a right. week. And then the NCAA comes out and announces that well, Clemson can practice all they want to after Jimbo has already said. That really doesn't really apply to us. We're not going to practice more than 20 hours anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're getting into the minutia now. That that There is uh, actually some proposed legislation that involves uh, not so much the 20-hour-per-week rule, but looking at ways to limit perhaps how much outside of the – you know, the stuff that doesn't count in the 20-hour rule is time in the training room, community service, um uh, tutorials and, and study hall and all those things so there is proposed legislation that would limit some of that because when you add all that up it's it's you know we all know the 20 hour rule is really like 30 hours probably <laughs> the way they do it well, well we'll do this. let's we'll, be clear uh, of the of, of the common common tallahassee and the keith and raleigh talking on the telephone no offense but i'm the one that played and i'm going to tell you 20 hours is nice but the reality is it's about a 50 or 60 hour commitment to well, play any sport at Florida State. Yeah, that, the end. yeah, that's and I can share from my time when when I was uh, announcing the baseball games. And this is a much longer conversation. We can get Jim Curry back on to discuss this. But, uh, for example, a baseball game counts as three hours per the NCAA's definition towards your 20 hour clock. Well, I can tell you that the players arrive two to three hours before the game. The games don't last three hours. They last three and a half to four hours. And then they're there an hour afterwards, and they play five games a week. So that right there is 40 hours before they've gone to study hall or done anything else. So that's and, that's, and that's that, 40 hours that's counted as 15 is what you're saying. Yeah, counted as 20. Counted that, that, towards the 20-hour. Well, counted as 15 there, yes. And then they get one day off and one other day to practice, which would be another – you know, three hours or whatever that would get them under the 20 hour rule. And this is not Correct. unique to FSU, to be clear, folks. This is the way the game's played. Once again, we've opened a can of worms at the end of a segment. Keith, call a, call a uh, good game tonight. Hopefully, uh, when I talk to you next, Florida State is one and three in the ACC, okay? We'll keep our fingers crossed. All righty. And uh, tell Gene hello. I look forward to more play by play from you uh, when you return uh, here in person next time around. <laughs> Will do. All righty. Keith Jones, the other half of the uh, front row, will step aside, come back to uh, talk to our Seminoles.com insider right after this. You are listening to The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, only on 97.9 ESPN Radio. Here's Tom and Keith. Welcome back to the front row. Sans Keith Jones, who joined us for the last two segments, but is in, in rally with the men's basketball team. But it is time to be joined by our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeld, who's on the horn now. Tim, how are you? 
I'm good, Tom. How are you? Great. Seminoles.com, your source for uh, all kinds of news, videos, information about Florida State athletics, including uh, an interesting thing that I saw when I logged on today, Tim, and that is the uh, top 10 moments from 2015. I'm just curious, uh, when you put that together, did that involve a committee of hundreds or did it involve a bullseye uh, on the wall? Well, it wasn't quite a committee of hundreds, but it was a committee of, I don't know, eight or ten, maybe twelve, and uh, we all kind of got together, and, and, and really my uh, my colleague, Lane Hurt, sort of spearheaded it, and uh, we came up with a list, and then he sent out to everybody kind of in the office who was interested, and we all voted on our favorite moments, and that's what came out. Your office is dozens, not a hundred. So let me correct that for the sake of our listeners. Um, I, I thought it was interesting that you know what it reminded me of, though, and this has sort of been a theme in the, of the show is that uh, college football season is over, which is a little depressing, quite frankly. Yeah, that was kind of the the impetus behind it. We said, well, the season's over now; seems like a pretty good time to roll it out. Because yeah, like you said, it's uh, we, we've kind of moved on from it. It seems like such a long season to think that it's actually over. It, it kind of catches you by surprise. I don't want to tip the hand. Uh, people can go to Seminoles.com and find out for themselves. But uh, not surprisingly, uh, Dalvin Cook's, uh, some of his runs are included in the list. Victory in Gainesville is is on that list somewhere. And uh, you can you can log in for yourself and see what the, the full top ten looks like. Uh, we haven't had a chance, I don't think, to, to discuss the news about Demarcus Walker because he didn't make that announcement that he's returning until Friday. Last week when we chatted, we knew that uh, – Jalen and Roberto were going pro. Matter of fact, uh, Jalen was kind enough to bat right before you in the lineup. Now that I think back, Tim, uh, <laughs> we didn't have uh, Roberto or Demarcus on the show today, but that's pretty significant that Demarcus Walker is coming back to this defense. I mean, when I when I saw that news, the more it dragged on, I felt like he was going. And I had interviewed him right after the Peach Bowl, and I asked him that question on the radio network, and his answer was TBD. And then his next answer was, but I'd like to just send a shout-out to all the FSU fans and Seminole Nation, blah, blah, blah. So I sort of read that as, okay, he's done. Um, and who knows what the ultimate reason to come back is. Maybe it was his draft grade. But it's significant that he's back for this defense. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I, when the season ended, I probably was leaning towards the idea that he would leave. But as time moved on and, and he waited a little bit longer to make a decision, I thought to myself, well, you know, maybe he actually is going to stay. And, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's a huge deal. You really can't overstate how much it will help them to have just a guy who, one, is really talented in and of himself, but they're replacing so much off of last year's defense. You have so many new faces in, in different places to have somebody who can sort of be an anchor and be somebody who's reliable while some of the other guys find their way in new, new positions and new places. Uh, it'll, it'll be really valuable. Let's talk a little recruiting real quick, uh, Tim. Uh, you know, signing day comes up the first Wednesday in February. Florida State got seven early enrolls, enrollees uh, in school last week or two weeks ago. What I guess it was last week. I've already lost track as uh, we're into the middle of January. Here. It was last week. Yeah, it was last week. Um, I, I, the obvious answer is probably Malik Henry as a quarterback who will get a chance to compete in spring, especially in light of Sean McGuire being hurt. But, but expand that a little bit what's the most significant or who's the most significant maybe those seven that are in school well i i think you have to start with ricky aguayo uh because i think if all goes according to plan he's probably going to be your starting kicker next year you know that there's competition just about every other spot and and there might be competition for ricky aguayo but we know that florida state uh, has a job opening there and, and the fact that it was ricky's older brother roberto uh, doesn't change the fact that fsu's gonna need a kicker so 
you know, assuming he can come in and, and play well and, and get himself acclimated to college football, uh, you're probably looking at your, your next picker. So to get him in early and get him, uh, you know, like you said, acclimated and just comfortable in the college setting, I think that's a pretty big deal. I know that uh, as you work for Seminoles.com and NFSU Athletics, you can't talk specifics on guys that they're recruiting. But in light of losing Lorenzo Phillips and what's been a lack of depth at the linebacker position for one reason or another the last couple of years, I, I don't even know. I don't get buried in with the recruitniks on what they're doing. So I don't know how many linebackers they're trying to sign. But my question is really, are they going to alter that and try to sign somebody else? Do they have enough bodies there? Are they concerned about it at all? Or do they feel confident that – you know, Purifoy and Thomas will be back or just kind of update us there on that. Cause that, that seems to be precariously thin. Well, I, I think that the, the fact of the matter is it, it was uncomfortable uh, regardless of, of Lorenzo Phillips situation. And you know, I don't mean to downplay his significance, but he, he didn't make much of an impact last year. And if there was ever an opportunity for a linebacker to come in, a junior college linebacker to come in and have an impact, it would have been last season when, you know, Reggie Northup and Darren Smith both battled injuries throughout the year. Or Derek Hoskins, who I think was really maybe one of the underrated, more valuable players on the team this past year, with him being able to step up and perform with those guys hurt. Um, they, they certainly needed as many as they could get. And so the fact that Lorenzo Phillips didn't factor in much, I, I'm kind of skeptical that he would have factored in a ton moving forward. That said, they did find a linebacker, uh, just to, uh, excuse me, welcome in a linebacker early in Rowley and Josh Brown from North Carolina, and they have a few more that they're targeting uh, for uh, signing day in February. But you know, more than that, I, I think that they need the guys that they have uh, to perform. Uh, you know, you, you look at Roderick Hoskins, uh, one of the pleasant surprises of the season. He'll be the leader of that group next year in all likelihood. And then you need a guy like Matthew Thomas to, to come in and, and, and be able to perform. We've seen the potential with him uh, throughout his career, but for one reason or another, be it injuries or something else, hasn't been able to stay on the field. Well, you know, now it's time. They, they need him to stay on the field. Same thing with Delvin Purifoy. He hasn't made much of an impact at this point. But, you know, they, they signed him because they liked him. And uh, he certainly has had plenty of opportunities to, to learn the defense and learn what Florida State does. So they just kind of need him to take to the next step. It's, uh, it's, it's not so much an issue, I don't think, of, of bodies right now. It's just they need those bodies to, you know, contribute. Final thought from you. We, t- we talked basketball extensively with Keith Jones in a prior segment, so I'm going to keep it on football here. The news about Sean McGuire – uh, you know, it kind of, I don't know if snuck out is the right word, but I don't know that anybody knew that was coming, and then boom, he's out for spring. Have we heard a time frame on how long the rehab really is for his ankle? That's not going to linger into fall, is it? Uh, I have not heard. I don't believe it's expected to, but uh, that's me just speculating. I, I, I don't know for sure. Um, it's uh, you, you just kind of really feel bad for, for him, I think. Uh, you know, we, we've gone over Sean McGuire's story plenty, but it, but it obviously is a setback to not be able to participate in the spring and know that somebody else is going to be getting first team reps during March and April. And, you know, that that's going to be a really big deal for whoever it is that's trying to win that job in the fall. Yeah, no question. And it just sort of adds to McGuire's, um, you know, resume, if you will, as being a tough kid. I happen to be standing on the sideline exactly where he went down at the Peach Bowl. Oh, did you really? And uh, I checked the replays. I got lots of FaceTime because my, my <laughs> phone was blown up with text, and he was in great anguish. Uh, yeah. And frankly, I was stunned when he ran back on the field to come back in because that's the kind of anguish he, he appeared to be in. But I have learned in my time on the sideline that you can never directly correlate whether a guy's coming back based by how little or how great anguish he appears to be in because I've been wrong on that a hundred times. Oh, I, yeah. And this is like, you see know, the, the initial shock of, oh, my gosh, I'm hurt. You sometimes get a guy, too. Not saying that's what happened with Sean, but 
before they actually get back there and get checked on, it's pretty hard to infer. Yeah, but I, I certainly wish him well on the rehab. Uh, as, I, as I send you on your way, Tim, I'm looking at Seminoles.com, and I see that there's a, a feature on – Theron Mays, like father, like son with XRM, and it makes me feel really old because Theron, <laughs> Theron Mays was in school at FSU when I was in school. So we do share that commonality. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a neat little story. Uh, again, my uh, my buddy and colleague, Lane Hurt, got to sit down with uh, with Theron and, and talk to him about his playing days at FSU and also what it's like to have a son uh, playing on the basketball team. It's, uh, it's a pretty cool thing. The schedule poster for one of those years had Theron Mays and Irv Thomas on it. And Irv is, is uh, I think he scouts for the Lakers still. I see him about once or twice a year at the Tucker Center. We always say hello to each other. But uh, that's about all I remember from circa 1989-90, at least that I'm willing to share in this very forum. Well, that's, uh, I'm sure you probably have some more stories that we can uh, I said in, I, I said in this forum. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll get them out of here. Tim Linefelder, Seminoles.com Insider. Thanks, as always. We'll talk to you again next week, Tim. Yeah, Tom, thanks. All right, and we will uh, finish up on the front row right after this. We don't need no education. We don't need no Listening to the front row with Tom Locke and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979ESPNRadio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. It is Tom and Keith minus Keith. Matter of fact, listening to that uh, suggestion to drop us an email, I, I, you know, we have limited time left, but I should just take calls right now. We could all talk about Keith together in the closing 90 seconds uh, since he's in Raleigh and probably not tuned in. He's with the basketball team. Big game tonight for the Knowles on the road at NC State. Another late tip. Uh, I heard you and Jeff, uh, yeah. Tom, uh, sharing the fact that uh, you've actually been welcomed into middle age because you now are begrudgingly uh, getting set for late tips and kickoffs. I'm getting hit over the head with this stuff. I'm, I'm also a hockey enthusiast. My team played at 9 o'clock last night. So between the national title game last night, tonight, yeah, um, one after the next. And I kind of like my mornings now, Tom. I don't know what that's all about. And then we get a 6.30 tip on Sunday of a holiday weekend at home. Like, that's when we need the 9 o'clock tip and we could stomach it. Exactly. No, and, I, and I'll tell you, too, uh, in my previous place of employment, I used to produce your games. Uh, for the FSU baseball team on the weekends. And when we'd have 11 o'clock pregame, I thought that was early in those days. And I thought, man, why do we have to play these games at noon? But these days, I mean, now I've already lived my day by that time. Well, I tell Chuck Walsh all the time, though, that one of the great things about college basketball compared to college baseball, on top of the fact that the games are two hours shorter generally to begin with, is that basketball is played indoors. So rain delay is not part of the equation. (laughs) Those we had some brutal ones too. Yeah, oh, time. yeah, oh, yeah. However, I did once have a time where we, uh, because of weather in Boston, they moved the whole series up. We played a doubleheader Friday, single game on Saturday, and then we all got like a thirty-six hour hall pass in Boston, which was not a bad time, because the team charter was leaving on Sunday, and that's when the team charter was leaving. One way or the other. One way or the other. Oh, so man. that that was one time where the weather worked in my favor. All right, so, you guys don't care about the rest of those. Folks stories. got into trouble, basically, is what you're saying. Well, I, I don't know that the players had a hall pass for thirty-six hours, but the radio crew which was me on that road trip did <laughs> all right keith uh, uh for keith who incidentally will be on the road next week at louisville when we do this so it'll be a similar arrangement uh this is tom thanks for tuning in and uh, we'll talk to you again next week on the front row